Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econa Day Unplugged on Thursday, 6th of August 2020. Mark Penders stateside, Brian Jackson's an early riser in Sydney and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. While by and large policymakers around the world remain captive to the coronavirus, which with many countries now facing rising new cases again, may well mean that monetary and or fiscal stances will need to be loosened still further. And that's almost certainly a key reason why stocks are still faring so well. Last week, the S&P 500 ending its best July in a decade, while the Nasdaq, which was up nearly 7%, managed yet another record closing high on Wednesday. So the coronavirus is good news for stocks then somehow it doesn't seem to add up. Anyway, adding up the numbers in Asia is Brian Jackson. So, Brian, economic or COVID, take your pick. How's the region been doing since you joined us last month? Well, obviously, there's a there's a big correlation between those two things um, uh, right now. Uh, and I mean, let's just look at the look at the numbers first, the economic numbers. You know, we've had uh, the PMI surveys come out at the start of the month. So that's always a good snapshot of how things are going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a bit of a, a, a divergence there between China and the rest of the region. So China, uh, you know, they obviously uh, were hit first by the pandemic. Uh, but uh, the, the, um, the the numbers that we've had out for a couple of months now have shown that it's bouncing back pretty strong. Obviously, um, not returning back to pre-pandemic levels of activity, but uh, recovering sharply from the, the initial impact of it. Um, but if you go across uh, most of the other uh, you know, major economies in the region, uh, what they're showing is that activity is still contracting, um, not at the same rapid pace as, as the initial uh, impact, but still uh, coming uh, coming off uh, and not you know, showing signs of stabilising yet and, and starting to recover. Uh, and, and again, you know, that's very much driven by uh, the, the, the scale of the public health problems in, in those countries and, you know, how how um, quickly they're, they're able to ease some of those restrictions. In China, uh, you know, we, we've, you know, if you look at the, 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 the coronavirus numbers out of China, they've stabilised and, and, and really lowered uh, quite dramatically over the last few months, and that's allowed them to, um, you know, get back into business. But that's not the case elsewhere in the region where we're seeing, you know, some serious uh, uh, second wave uh, type of situations in, in parts of the region parts of the region, some cities like Hong Kong, uh, Tokyo, uh, and also here in Australia, in Melbourne. Okay. Can you, what's the, has there been any noticeable impact so far on the likes of, you know, the more up-to-date, so, you know, the, the survey numbers, be it consumer or business, has, you know, the pickup in the virus started to impact that yet? I just say that because so far the latest surveys coming out of Europe, certainly, by and large, businesses still seem to be a good deal optimistic, obviously, when they were during the worst of the period, but, but typically speaking, the trend in optimism still seems at this stage to be on the up. Yeah, well, I think obviously when, um, you know, a lot of those uh, measures sort of ask people to predict where they think output will be in 12 months' time or uh, mm-hmm. you know, where things will be in 12 months' time. And when they've had such a big hit uh, in, in the last few months, then, yeah, it's it's possible to predict that, you know, in 12 months' time we're, we're going to at least see some sort of recovery from where we are now. So to that All extent, right. yes, there is, there is a little bit. And that does obviously help to a certain extent, um, if you're thinking about laying people off, you might sort of have second thoughts and say, okay, we can get through the next six months or so. We, we, we won't, um, you know, want to cut our workforce too much. So that, that definitely does help. And you, you're seeing, um, you know, wage subsidies in, in some parts of the region as well uh, help that decision. So, you know, I think there's still a sense that, um, you know, 
we will return to normal at some stage, uh, but um, yeah, it's not it's not in the next two or three months, obviously. Right. Um, and also, I suppose um, for those, obviously, every all the regions are being hit now. It doesn't really matter where you look. But for one of the counterparts of the region, which is perhaps being hit the hardest in the sense of the you know, from the currency markets, the dollar, which is you know down significantly against all the majors um, over the last month or so. Um, one of the you know, the counterparts to that has been the relative strength of the likes of the Aussie dollar and also the the Kiwi dollar as well. Is that causing the central banks any problems given the potential? You know, new worries they might have stemming from the coronavirus. Oh, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, they've uh, eased policy rates uh, it, during the initial uh, reaction to to the pandemic, to, you know, to try and uh, provide support. And but you know, the currency is is going the other way, and is is not obviously going to do any favours for um, you know the exporters in, in those countries. And and you know, we we have seen the Australian dollar often be um, you know the a swing variable that helps uh, the RBA um, in, in its job uh, going, uh, you know, going back many years now. So right. that that's definitely complicating it. But you know, they they're used to dealing with uh, swings in the currency, and uh, so I don't think uh, they're going to be too concerned um, about the moves yet. But you know, if it were to keep going, that's just another factor they have to uh, take into account. What they're actually saying is that you know they've they've sort of done their bit on monetary policy. They've provided pretty clear signals so that I think that the government in Australia has more room to, to move on fiscal policy. Yeah, I think that's not an unusual theme we're seeing coming out of a lot of central banks, isn't it? Yeah, um, and um, what you're seeing you know, across regions is that there actually hasn't been a lot of moves by central banks over the last few months. You know, after the initial uh, response to, to um, the pandemic, they've sort of just held steady, you know, almost as if they think, well, you know, there's only so much we can do now. It, it sort of right. depends on how the public health measures go. Um, and, you know, we're just going to wait it out for a while. And that, you know, we had that just yesterday with the Reserve Bank of India. Uh, they, they were very aggressive uh, cutting rates for, for a long time. And, you know, the consensus was that they'd go again this month. Yeah. But what they did is, you know, they, they said, we're just going to hold off for the, for the time being because, you know, we've actually seen a bit of a, a spike in inflation. And we've got to just also think about that. Brian, uh, uh, this is Mark. On the uh, uh, Reserve Bank of India, they're at still 4%, their policy rate. So they still have a lot of room to go uh, lower. Um, was that, I mean, was that really a surprise? Are they really, I mean, the PMIs from India weren't very good at all for um, July. Yeah, I, I mean, think both it, of them were below 50 surprise. still. Yeah, I think and, you're right. I, yeah, being at, at 4%, they, they definitely do have scope to go further. And, and they acknowledge that in the statement. Um but you know, the, the, they they made a, a pretty um, you know detailed explanation of what they were thinking this month. So they've already cut rates very aggressively. So, you know, going back actually before the pandemic to the start of 2019. Uh, so you know, they think that's still sort of in the pipeline. The, the impact of those previous rate uh, cuts, and they they also just noted the fact that inflation has picked up uh, in the last couple of months. For for a couple of months, they were flying blind with inflation because the inflation numbers weren't published because of the national lockdown. Um, meant that the the data, uh, you know, the data officials couldn't actually go out and collate the numbers. So, but when when they got the number for June, it was at 6.1%, which is above their target range of you know two to six percent. And they're looking uh, at the near-term inflation outlook, and they see upward pressures from food prices and fuel prices. So they've got these sort of conflicting, uh, uh, you know, objectives of of trying to make sure that inflation doesn't go too much further above the target. 
whilst trying to support the economy. And and the you know the assessment they made this month was that you know we've got a bit of time to uh, just assess um, you know what happens with inflation over the next you know between now and the next meeting. Uh, we've already done a lot to support economic recovery, and you know if we need to, we'll we'll go again next meeting. Did they say anything about their inflationary pressures? being isolated that globally uh, there's deflation or disinflationary pressures prevalent? Yeah, I mean, there's always, um, in the case of India, a very big, uh, you know, food uh, component of, of the inflation basket. And so country specific, yeah, India specific uh, food inflation pressures are, are a big part of, of their inflation uh, story. Uh, and that, you know, obviously is, is very heavily dependent on, you know, the, the strength of ma- rainfall during the monsoon season and, and other factors such as that. So, you know, in, India's inflation uh, story can sometimes differ quite sharply from, you know, the global inflation story. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Brian. Um, right, we're moving right along to the States then. Mark, I guess it's fair to say a still very dovish FOMC last week, and particularly in the light of what Branch has been saying about the need to put more emphasis on fiscal policy. Where do we stand on this new stimulus package being thrashed about in Congress at the moment? Well, one day it's good news and one day it's uh, not good news. Uh, the last uh, headlines I saw was uh, the Democrats uh, um, uh, rejecting um, the unemployment, um, uh, holding the unemployment uh, benefit. Um, so I, I, it was supposed to be at the beginning of the week. They uh, they said there was no chance it would get done by the end of the week, or that was the talk. Those were the reports, and then by Tuesday, those reports had reversed, and it, it, and then um, and so we're somewhere in between. But uh, have they not it, set some it, deadline for this weekend or something like that? Or was it was that? Uh, I, yes, but well, you know, uh, these are possibly. Not, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, you know, in cement or anything. It doesn't um, look like there's a lot of uh, energy um, for another uh, a round, a massive round of fiscal um, stimulus. Even though uh, it may depend on uh, tomorrow's employment report. Actually, it may have a a, a big um, thing to uh, to say in the in the, in the question. Uh, ADP came out with their uh, their guess or their <laughs> their estimate for tomorrow. It was only 167,000. Maybe back that's a normal looking number, um, and it's supposed to be two million. So, and that's what the expectations are for tomorrow, roughly. And uh, if we don't get that, and uh, we have an unemployment claims that came out today for their weekly series and the latest uh, numbers that came out after the monthly report tomorrow at the sample. But they show maybe a little improvement, still more than a million uh, initial claims filed per week. So um, if it is a weak number tomorrow uh, and there is a, a rise again in the unemployment rate, we could see more momentum pushing for a fiscal um, a new fiscal package. And what about the Fed? So Mr. Powell seemed to be, if I remember correctly, to quote, we're in this until we're well through it. Um, does that hint there could be yet more to come out of the Fed? Uh, it could. Uh, it's there. As all the central banks, the Fed has kind of been in um, after, you know, pulling all the levers uh, earlier at the beginning. And, and really, uh, uh, I, in, uh, if we look back at this the whole year, the 
reaction of the central banks, including the Federal Reserve, was very fast. I mean, they didn't, they, they knew almost like a plan what they would do in a, in a big emergency, and that is, you know, cut rates and buy bonds and protect markets, and uh, that's what they did, and also uh, back up loans, and that's what they did in a great, uh, 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 massive uh, way. So, um, whatever policy nuances they have or you know confined to things like they're already um, uh, committed to as much qe as uh, as they can possibly do or as they need to do and so now it's like well are they going to firm up how they're going to explain forward guidance and you know that's not a super powerful uh, element of monetary policy so and, and they even delayed their decisions on that so i think it's kind of a a wait and see, like uh, like Brian was saying, you know, the government uh, has to have c- come back in here now. It's their turn. They have more latitude right now. And so if they fail, if Washington fails to do something and the, uh, and the employment report is weak, well, then I guess they would have to start jawboning. Uh, Federal Reserve officials would have to get on, on the wires and start uh, talking more uh, emergency stimulus of some kind. So I think we would have to wait and see exactly what it would be. Okay. Can I ask you a political question, which I mean, I don't know if you'll be able to answer it or not, but there's talk Mm -hmm. that uh, Donald Trump has been talking about possibly using um, his executive authority to extend, I know, some measures like your supplementary um, unemployment insurance and the like. Can he can he do that by himself? So I mean, how much of a package could he put through just using his executive privilege? Well, he's been testing the bounds of executive privilege across so many different issues uh, and certainly he could put it out whether or not it would be rejected it would uh, it, the key would be whether or not it would be accepted by the uh, Republican senators uh, the Republicans in the Senate and they don't always go with uh, what uh, the president says like last week uh, uh, floating the idea of postponing the election mm-hmm. that didn't that, that didn't go over All right. so uh, if the Republicans go for it then I think that that could definitely be um, a possibility of and uh, it would show you know it would show uh, executive leadership in a, in a critical moment uh, if uh, Congress does, if their hands are tied, and, and this is a difficult moment for the U.S. economy, the U.S. labor force. These are uh, uh, low low wage uh, workers are on the line right now, and um, so um, it's a, it, it, uh, we'll have to see you know what happens. But it'd be interesting to see the the play and what the administration's moves are. Indeed. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, right. What about my part of the world in Europe? Well, I suppose in terms of the sort of the COVID stuff, um, you know, most of the medical experts over here seem to be surprised at how fast the lifting of restrictions has led to resurgence in infections. Over the last week or so, Spain's seen a sharp increase um, in new cases, but we've also had uh, significant rises too in the likes of France, Germany, Italy, and perhaps uh, more surprisingly in some ways, Germany as well. Uh, the UK also appears to at least bottomed and we've got localised restrictions imp- imposed over here now too. So um, surprise, surprise, already there are rumours doing the rounds that the ECB is getting concerned about what third quarter GDP is going to look like. And that's 
price, despite the fact that the second quarter, which uh, came in on a flash number of quarter on quarter growth of minus 12.1, which is, of course, a record. But that was actually a little bit stronger than the central bank was expecting. Um, I suppose from the economist's point of view, one good bit of news is that proof of data does still matter. Um, that was at the Eurostat website fell over last Friday when the GDP release was actually was actually uh, came out due to all the heavy traffic. Anyway, it does seem that uh, I suppose some of the differences between what's happening in Europe and elsewhere in the world at the moment is that there's still this issue concerning uh, what happens to this coronavirus rescue fund that the EU, EU Commission is trying to get voted on through all the various national parliaments at the moment. Uh, that's still in transit and it's going to take a while for it to be delivered. So from an investor or a market perspective, the emphasis really is still upon the central bank and whether or not they'll be doing anything else. They won't be meeting until September time, but that's when they'll be updating their economic forecast. So we, if we are going to see something new, it's quite likely it will be coming out then. So um, certainly as far as uh, you know, monetary policy expectations are in Europe in general uh, currently, it's still at least biased towards some kind of additional easing. Um, uh, uh, Jeremy, yeah. I have a question. Yep. Um, you were talking about um, uh, websites going down, uh, statistics, uh, statistical yep. uh, websites, which are very important right now. Um, and I see on Wednesday, uh, the UK has lined up GDP, industrial production and trade all at the same time, seven, uh, early seven in the morning, your time. Uh, it, how is that working? Is there, I mean, I can tell you Badly. that um, <laughs> like some of the sites here, not the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which does the employment reports, but some of the other ones aren't as fast, especially the Bureau of Economic Analysis, I have to say, which which does GDP. They're kind of clunky around the, the release time with all the, the traffic. How, how is the UK site doing? Very similar. Um, it's, it's a very good point. I mean, for, well, uh, go back there forever. The UK economic numbers, the major ones anyway, from the official national statistics have been released at 9.30 in the morning uh, UK time. That was changed um, earlier on this year when they decided that due to the coronavirus, or they didn't actually ex 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 explicitly detail why, they announced that all the major numbers, so the consumer prices, industrial production, GDP, as you're talking about, they'll now be coming out at seven o'clock in the morning UK time. Um, one of the problems is I think that whether it's due to staffing issues or whatever, but ever since they've switched to the seven o'clock release time, rather than the numbers literally coming out on the dot of the time they're supposed to be released, you're now talking about a kind of a trickle of the data coming through over the course of a couple of minutes or so. So whereas markets used to literally within five seconds, they pretty well had at least the headline numbers and be reacting immediately. Now, when we get, as you mentioned, next Wednesday, when we get this slate of real economy data, and the ONS likes to package different elements of the economy together now. When these figures come out, we'll be getting bits and pieces over the first minute and, and probably the remainder over the second and third minute. So markets mm -hmm. really have to take that much longer to digest and work out what's going on. So it's certainly not working. Has there been a lot of criticism about this uh, new arrangement? Not, to be honest, not really that I've seen so far. 
I mean, from my days when I was in uh, the trading market, I mean, most of the most of the traders weren't actually at their desk before seven o'clock anyway. One would hope, like to think that that's actually changed a little bit now. But no, I think it's kind of, I suppose, as, as Mark was saying, from his side, there's also issues to do with the release of the data. I don't know if it's affected your part of the world, Mark, but it, it is most definitely the case um, within Europe. And I talked about the UK, in France, some of the Aussie numbers, so the national stats body there, their figures have either been changed, particularly the business business confidence indicator figures. Sometimes they've been coming out at their normal time. Other times they've come out perhaps an hour later or so. So there's certainly been some issues, I think, uh, surrounding the impact of the coronavirus on the, on the number of releases in general. Um, now, presumably, we'd like to think that once we get over this uh, coronavirus issue, that it'll start to go back to normal again. But we'll just just have to wait and see. But it certainly it is an issue for markets at the moment. Um, well, I should mention in terms, say in terms of um, the big announcements this week, I suppose for the for us it was the Bank of England, uh, which came out. The MPC made their August policy announcement today, which to no one's surprise was for no change in quantitative easing. Uh, the ceiling on that still stands at 745 uh, billion sterling, and that's expected to be completed by the end of this year. Or bank rate, which still stands at 0.1%. But there was an interesting change, which I guess is kind of symptomatic of what we're seeing from a lot of central banks around at the world around the world at the moment and that was some new forward guidance issued and that effectively boils down to the fact that the bank doesn't expect to see any tightening of monetary policy until to quote there's a clear evidence that significant progress is being made in eliminating spare spare capacity and achieving the two percent inflation target sustainably and what that really means is that well we all know about this two population two percent inflation target that's been around for a long time but it really suggests that the bank now is starting to put more emphasis on measures of spare capacity. And as far as they're concerned, that really means the unemployment rate. So I think it really does suggest that the, the labour market figures now are going to be that much important, more important and determine whether or not the likes of the Bank of England is going to cut interest rates and go into negative territory or more likely do additional quantitative easing you know, over the course of the next several months. It doesn't mean that they've abandoned their inflation target. They can't do that because it's set for them by the government. But it does suggest that you know, they're looking at more than just inflation now in the current environment of the coronavirus of the coronavirus in determining what they should be doing with policy, given the way the economy is performing at the moment. Um, and I guess I should also mention, given there has been over here over the last what, two or three months, quite a lot of speculation about UK interest rates going negative, at least I should say the official bank rate going negative. Well, there's a new monetary policy report that the uh, the Bank of England issued today, their quarterly report. It was a fairly chunky piece they put in there about negative interest rates. And the bottom line to that would appear to be that they haven't ruled it out altogether. It is still in their so-called policy toolbox, but it's not likely to be introdu introduced yet, but it could be in the future. And it seems, um, I suppose, sort of picking back off what we've seen coming out the lights of uh, Switzerland, they're concerned about the, the negative impact that negative interest rates would have on banks, which they regard as being key to the economic recovery. So I think at least it's probably fair enough to say that for the time being, UK bank rate is probably bottomed at 0.1%. It might possibly go lower in the fullness of time, but I suspect the economic numbers will have to uh, turn a good deal weaker um, if that were to happen. Um, what about anybody else's side? I mean, in terms of negative interest rates, I think, Mark, you said from your side, the Fed don't really like the idea. Um, is that true for Asia as well, Brian? 
Uh, it's, it's definitely true for for Australia. Uh, they've they haven't ruled it out, but they've made it pretty clear that um, you know they would like to see other options exhausted before they consider that that one. That, um, you know, for, and I think that's pretty much the same um, case for for Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Obviously, uh, you know, Bank of Japan has been doing it for a long time now, but um, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of appetite for for that um, yeah, unless they really have to. And that's still true of the Fed, Mark. Uh, ruled out, uh, no chance. No chance whatsoever. Even yeah, if no. we were, say, second second wave and we say, uh, yeah, we don't get recovery in the third quarter. I guess don't ever say never. But if that's one no, of the toolbox. If that's what, negative rates are one of the tools that they have deep down in the very bottom of their toolbox. And it would only they'd have to lift the box out and dump it out before they would do that. And again, I suppose it takes us back to what we're chatting about, you know, kind of in the intro, you know, the side of fiscal policy. If we were to suppose that the um, the administration can't deliver on another fiscal stimulus package and the numbers don't look too clever, does that mean the Fed's going to feel obliged to do something else? Well, if they did do uh, a negative rates, that might um, smack of panicking, which you don't mm-hmm. want to do if you're or you don't give any uh, even a suggestion of that. If you're a central bank, uh, they would have to do some, uh, you know, prior job owning uh, uh, verbal work uh, before preparing everyone in, in, in some way that, that they would now consider this. It would be a last uh, the, I think the last thing that they would probably do, they might pull out other things that we don't even know about uh, before that. That would be increasing loans and, and those kinds of things, I would imagine. Yeah, good point. It's quite often for you know the likes of the Federal Reserve or any central bank, it's a fine line to walk between doing something which they think perhaps they should be doing, um, but also taking on board just how markets might actually interpret it. Oh, I have a question, okay. Jeremy. Has yep. ECB been buying Italian bonds and things? Uh, update us on on um, yeah. On. In t- yeah, in terms of the the emergency purchase program, the pand- the PEP, the pandemic emergency purchase program. Yes, that is fully operational at the moment. Um, it's flexible, so it's nothing like sort of the the ECB original asset purchase program, which is is still ongoing, which is running at uh, what 20 billion euros a month. But the PEP is something which is flexible, which they will, you know, they'll be in and out of the markets according to when and if they think they should be actually be in there buying. But yes, that's actually going through quite nicely at the moment. And to all intents and purposes, it is by and large that you know, their main quantitative easing tool currently. Um, and it's going to be interesting, as I mentioned, when we get into September time, whether or not they actually decide to come out and increase it. They had obviously a lot of problems actually getting the agreement through to do this in the first place. Um, would they consider increasing at this stage? I'd have thought no, but again, a bit like everything else. If the numbers in the third quarter due to a second wave coronavirus or whatever don't prove to be as good as they should be, then I think the ECB, like a lot of other central banks, indeed, just you know, reiterating what the B of E was saying this morning, um, they'll do whatever's necessary to ensure you know, they keep the financial markets working and do whatever they can do to, you know, to get the economic recovery in, in place. And, and of course, for them, that they can achieve their medium term inflation target. Okie dokie. Anyone for anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the other fact that we need to just uh, at least uh, mention is is just U.S.-China relationships yep. and, and how that Good is man. progressing um, and, you know, how, <laughs> how that's impacting uh, other parts of the world as well. Um, you know, there's, there's so many, uh, you know, items coming 
onto the newswire about about this relationship. You know, just one I've noticed in the last 24 hours. You have for the first time, I think, since um, uh, you know the, the U.S. broke off official ties with Taiwan back in 1979. You have a cabinet-level U.S. official visiting Taiwan uh, over the next week or so. Um, the uh, the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services. He's uh, he's heading over there, and obviously China's not happy about that. And that just highlights, I think, you know, the, the tensions that are uh, in place at the moment. And you know, I think what's interesting is how the how that might uh, impact other parts of the world, in particular Europe. Um, you know, you've had the U.K. government reverse its decision to allow uh, Huawei uh, involvement in the 5G network. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just interested in in what else might be happening in Europe about the US-China relationship. Yeah, it's true. I mean, certainly relationships between particularly the UK and China at the moment are well, not necessarily an all-time low, but the whole issue surrounding Hong Kong, as you mentioned, yeah. Huawei, um, it's really, it, you know, it's really has sort of put a cat amongst the proverbial pigeons. So you're right. I mean, it's, it's interesting in some ways, I think, how it almost doesn't seem to be having that much of an impact at the moment on financial markets because the focus is so much on the COVID numbers. But let's say someone were to come out with a vaccine tomorrow, it'd be blooming interesting to see, you know, what financial markets then started to concentrate upon okay on which note then um let's round it off for today i think we've probably been prattling on for long enough so uh, from mark Brandt and myself thanks as always for listening we'll be back next week and in the meantime keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in the Day's global economic calendar stay safe and we'll see you next time bye for now